Genesis, the 22nd chapter, beginning with verse number four and terminating at verse number 12. The Bible declares, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spake to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, I, I, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You may be seated. I want to this very morning talk about worship, not empty-handed. Worship, not empty-handed. If you've been watching and you've been connected to what's going on here at the Mountain View, and if you're part of the Mountain View family, you know that we're under a theme, the yearly theme of evolving in Christ toward eternity. And under the yearly theme, there are separate monthly themes. And as you know, and if you've been following, we've been talking about worship a lot. And again, as I said before, I don't believe it is a coincidence or by happenstance that, in th- that we just happen to have scheduled worship for this particular month, I believe that when we got together and we set out the monthly themes, I know that God already knew that the month that we would be talking about worship would be a month where we'd be worshiping in a way we've never had to worship before. So I believe that it is incumbent upon us, since there is a congruency between what is going on right now in the world and what God pre-planned, that it's incumbent upon us to pay special attention uh, to the things that God is saying through his word. When we talk about worship, let me just say and let's lay some things as a foundation. We're not talking about worship service. We're talking about worship in an organic sense. 
our, our modern times and even commercialism has contributed to the idea that worship is a service, that we've, we've added work service to the end of worship and we've almost commercialized something that God wants to be completely organic. As a matter of fact, you can have worship service and not have worship going on. You can have the shell of worship. You can have the outer skeleton, the outer frame of worship, but not, but not, be, uh, not be filled, not be moved, not be personal in your worship. And so we're not talking about worship service, not empty-handed. And what else we're not going to talk about is we're not necessarily talking about giving your offering. We're not talking about the five acts of worship. We know that we have coined it as five acts of worship. The Bible didn't coin it that way, though it demonstrates it that way. But we're not talking about the five acts of worship. We're talking about the gesture of worship that is the most, that is the most uh, impressive to God. We're talking about the highest expression of worship and the highest expression of worship, my brothers and my sisters, whether you're online or here, is not shouting, it is not the raising of the voice, it is not attendance, it is not tears, it is, watch this, it is not even getting emotionally stirred. The highest expression of worship is an expression that can be incongruent to a happy, joyful mood. The highest expression of worship, my friends, is sacrifice. Sacrifice is one of the most inconvenient things that exists today because sacrifice is not free. Sacrifice suggests that there is a discomfort. Sacrifice suggests that it's going to cost you something. Sacrifice suggests that you have to surrender something. Sacrifice suggests that you have to let something go. Sacrifice suggests that when you finish it and when you complete it, you will have missed something. Something would have been gone from you, and it is the highest expense expression of worship. As a matter of fact, you can be excited but not sacrificial. So God is not coming down or God is not searching the hearts of men to look for excitement. He's not searching the hearts of men to look for uh, emotional being emotional. He's not searching the hearts of men to look for anything that's extrinsic. What God is looking for is sacrifice. And in this particular text, we see that God is going to test Abraham's faith. But the very test of Abraham's faith was going to happen in a worship context. Bible says that we know that Abraham had prayed for a son. Not only did he pray for a son, but he was promised a son. And the son did not come overnight. As a matter of fact, Abraham and Sarah being in their old age, God delayed giving them what he promised them. He didn't give it to them when they were in their younger age, when they were young and spunky and full of them, vigor and vitality. Oh no, God waited. As a matter of fact, the process, they got so impatient 
mentioned that they decided to have a surrogate mother by the name of Hagar and they decided to unfold God's plan for him how often it is that God is taking too long for us so we decide to help God out and in his impatience because there was a promise but there was no product God promised a son but there was there was no son produced so so in that wait you we have the illegitimacy of uh, of Isaac's brother Ishmael how many Ishmaels have we are we living with today because we couldn't wait on the promise of God some of us are living with Ishmael's that we never planned. We're living with Ishmael's. What do you mean Ishmael's? We're living with things that are indicators in our life that we couldn't wait on God's promise. We're living with illegitimacies in our lives, things that didn't have to happen, things that God never planned to happen, things that were never part of what God promised us because we couldn't wait. And Abraham, here he was, there's Ishmael, and finally he gives, he and Sarah get together and they give birth to the child child of promise by the name of Isaac. Finally, in his old age, the promise of God unfolds and he and his wife Sarah have the son Isaac, which God promised. He was waiting and he finally got it and he finally is the father of the promised child. And he's growing up, and I want you to see that he's growing him up, and he's bonding with the child, and he's bonding, and he knows at this point more than Isaac himself that how special he is, as parents often do. Uh, Abraham knows that Isaac is just not a child. He's a promised child, and, and Abraham is in a, in, in a state perhaps of contentment because he finally got what God asked, and then all of a sudden God makes a request that almost contradicts his promise. Genesis chapter 22, the Bible says that God tests Abraham's faith and says, I want you to take that child. And the text and the narrative of the text describes it so prolifically. The narrative says, I want you to take your son. I want you to take your only son. I want you to take the son that you love. And I want you to offer him as a sacrifice for me in a place that I will show you. The Bible says that Abraham does that. As a matter of fact, he rolls up early. He rolls up early in the morning, saddled his donkey. Now many of us would have said that's foolish. Many of us would have doubted that that was the voice of God because it couldn't be the voice of God because God gave me Isaac, so it couldn't be God contradicting himself. So many of us would have challenged that voice, but Abraham knew God's voice when God said, I'm going to give you the child, and he knows God's voice when he says, you give me the child. The Bible says that he goes on and, and, and he saddles his donkey, and he takes two young men with him, and the Bible says... Uh, and he brings, he brings Isaac, his son, and he brings all of the things and the, what you call the sacrificial condiments. He brings the wood, he brings the knife, and he brings the preparation for the fire because he's going to keep the commandment of God. Now, this is not just an act of faith. It is an act of worship. 
The Bible says on the third day, verse number four, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the Duncan. Now, there are principles along the way that I'm going to talk about regarding worship. The first principle we see here when Abraham leaves the young men and the donkey behind is the idea that there is a point where worship is congregational, but the ascent is personal. I need you and I to know that yes, we're congregating, yes, you're around your television, yes, you're around your computer or whatever you're doing, and when the time comes, we'll be here. But at the end of the day, we are here congregationally, but there's a point in our worship that goes from congregational to personal. As Abraham went up higher, he had to go alone, and your worship might, watch this, your congregating may be together but your ascent has to be personal. Abraham's ascent was personal. Why was his ascent personal? His ascent was personal because his sacrifice had to be personal. This was not a group sacrifice. This was not a congregational sacrifice. This was not a sacrifice including the young men and the donkey that went. He says, stay here. And at some point in your worship and in my worship with God, we're going to have to leave people behind. This is an evolution of worship that many of us haven't gotten to because some of us are still looking to the left and to the right. Before this pandemic, we were looking to the left and to the right, and we would wait till this person said something in the affirm the word before we affirm the word. Here we are at the base of the mountain, but God was always looking for somebody who would leave the people behind in their very presence and ascend into worship that's personal and intimate and a sacrifice that's exclusively yours to give. Abraham's ascent was just he and his sacrifice. Now I know, I know, I know that some will say it was him and his son. But at this point, there was no difference between his son and his sacrifice. Abraham was ascending, not simply with his son, but with his sacrifice. The Bible says, Abraham said to his young men, stay here, we're going to worship. That word worship is shechah. It means to bow down in reverence to God. And saints watching, saints here, let me tell you something. Beware. Beware. There, even physically, there's a point where you fall on your knees and pray, but sometimes as life gets busy, you pray sitting down. And eventually, as life gets even busier, you pray kind of leaning over the sink. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's a strange thing that happens even physically where the value or the, or, or the intensity or the pureness of our worship begins to be clouded with busyness. We've been in this pandemic and this season long enough for worship to become lazy and to diminish in worth, for prayers to become empty. And eventually what happens is you become so lazy you don't bow down. 
And I'm not talking about in a literal sense. I'm talking about in a spiritual sense. You're so used to being crippled by convenience and you're used to being at home and now COVID is replacing Christ and now you get to a point where you don't even know how to engage God anymore because you stop worshiping with the meticulousness that God demands. Abraham said, we're going to bow down. He did not let the fact that the sacrifice was his only son stop him from the formality. And I'm not talking about formality right now with us. I'm talking about the intensity of his worship. He was no less going to bow down if the person that he was bound down to was the person that was demanding the thing that at this point was the closest to him, which is the next principle of worship. Worship and at its bare, at its, at its ground level, worship at its most, at its most, uh, at its highest expression is sacrifice, which means that God here with Abraham is demanding from Abraham something that is attached to him. He's demanding from Abraham something he's connected to, something that he values, something that he sees as worth much to him, something that is worth much to him because your worship, if in its most deepest expression has to be an expression to God that declares that God whatever I see as worth something you are worth more Abraham took him up and Isaac noticed something Bible says that as they were going up verse number seven Isaac said something's missing <laughs> Isaac not knowing that he was the sacrifice why would Isaac even say that because even Isaac knew at this point that worship was not empty handed Isaac understood at this point that if we're going to worship we need to have something if we're worshiping God, we're going to shakah before God. Uh, that shakah is not just a bowing down. It's a bowing down and a giving up. And if you bow down but don't give up, your worship is incomplete. And Isaac realized that. So he said, Daddy, Daddy, we're going, we're going up to worship, but I notice we're going up empty-handed. We, we have all of the worship condiments. I see the wood. I see the fire, but wood and fire still leaves us empty-handed. Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Because worship today, my brothers and my sisters, we need to understand is not empty-handed, neither is it empty-hearted. Isaac knew this so much that he questions his very dad who, 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 and the reality was, here, watch this, here's the reality, his dad wasn't empty-handed. Isaac was. He did not know, he did not know, he had no idea that daddy wasn't empty-handed. Daddy had his offering. Walking beside him, questioning him, asking him, where's the lamb? But Abraham had so much faith that he, watch this, watch the praise aspect. He said, Isaac, God 
will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Now, 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 some would say Isaac, that Abraham knew that a lamb was coming. No, Abraham was talking to Isaac. See, God provided with me. He provided me with what I should sacrifice. Isaac, just know that God will provide a lamb. You're asking about a lamb, but what you don't know, Isaac, is you are my lamb. Because God told me to take you, but in spite of how it looks, in spite of it looking empty-handed, we know that God doesn't accept empty-handed worship. And so Abraham says, because in essence, he, he, God is not a God that accepts empty-handed worship, it has to mean that he will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Here, here, here's another point. If you're watching, if you're watching, here's another point for you to keep in mind. Here's another point for your consideration. And that point is anything we can ever give to God comes from the reservoir of what he gave to us. We can never give anything to God that he did not first give to us. Why is that important to know? That's important to know because your sacrifice will always be giving up something that he gave up first. As a matter of fact, if we remember in the book of Job, Job chapter 1, verse number 21, I want you to get that. Job says something that, that, that captures this principle in a very powerful way. Job chapter 1 and verse number 21, after Job losing everything that God blessed him with. Watch this. And we would say he lost it. We would say that Job lost it. In my preaching context, in my preaching experience, I have made the mistake of saying that Job lost it. My narrative was different from the very narrative of Job. Our narrative, as we approach this Job text, this familiar text about the affliction of faithful man Job, is often even in our music and even in our doxology, we say Job lost everything he had. But that's not even Job's narrative. You want to see what Job's narrative is? Job chapter 1, verse number 21, after his kids are dead and after his cattle is gone and after his reputation is marred, after everything is in chaos, after everything he had he no longer has nowhere does it say that he lost it that's what we say Job's narrative sounds like this naked, read naked came out of my mother's womb naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return and there. naked shall I return the Lord gave. This is what Job's narrative is. Now what says our narrative is Job lost everything he had. That's not Job's narrative and we got to be careful that we don't add a narrative that the person in the story does not give. Job said the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away and I lost it all. And the Lord had taken away. And, and, and I lost everything I had. And the Lord hath taken away. And because I don't have it anymore, I'm sitting here, I'm depressed, and I don't know where it is because I lost it. And the Lord hath taken away. Job said, God has given, 
and the Lord has taken away. Then he puts the cherry on top of the narrative and says in spite of this, watch this, he's going to do a sacrifice. Oh, oh, oh my God. He, he doesn't even in his degradation and even in his, in, in, his, in his point, his lowest point, he gives a sacrifice. And he says at the end of that verse, Blessed be, blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. You say, I don't see that as a sacrifice. Do you know what that sacrifice is? It's the sacrifice of praise. Go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15. Let me show you something. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. We are not to come to God empty-handed. Watch this. Your situation is not an excuse to come to God empty-handed. This pandemic is not an excuse to come to God empty-handed. Our, our predicaments are not an excuse to come to God empty-handed. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, when you come to God empty-handed, you come to him not acknowledging that everything you got, he gave to you in the first place. You, watch this, you can, you can neglect acknowledging your blessings in two ways. One, by not saying anything about it. Number two, by coming to God empty-handed. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15, what? Through him then, uh -huh. let us continually offer up a sacrifice. Let us continually offer up, offer up a sacrifice. Offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. Of what? Of praise of to God. Of praise, read. To God that is the fruit of lips. That is the fruit. What makes that a sacrifice? What makes it a sacrifice? We've already established that the very, the most, the greatest expression of worship is sacrifice. What makes praise a sacrifice? The same thing that made praise a sacrifice for Abraham when he says, God will provide. Here he is in a situation he doesn't want to be in. God is making a request that's difficult for him. He waited all his life, and in his senior citizen years, in his golden years, he gets what God promises, and now God turns around and says, give him as a sacrifice. Here's the sacrifice of praise and when Abraham in spite of how weird this request says when he says God will provide it's when you still speak God's praises even when the situation is incongruent with feeling like praising God Job says blessed be the name of the Lord I know you can say blessed be the name of the Lord when you get a check in the mail. That's not a sacrifice to say God is good when, when, when your child graduates. That's not a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice to praise God when God says no. When God says give up what you love. When God says whatever it is that you think is worth something, that's what I want. Because you only have it to appraise it because I gave it to you. And we ought to give the sacrifice of praise, which means our praise ought not be regulated by the things we favor that God does. But it ought to keep going in spite of the moments when we don't favor what God is doing. Let's be honest in this place. Let's be honest as you watch online. You are not happy with every decision God makes. 
You, it doesn't make you joyous with every decision God makes. Sometimes God will make a decision that brings you into a pit of depression. God will say, no, I'm not going to let your loved one come out of the hospital. Then praise becomes a sacrifice. It's uncomfortable for me to render this to you. But in spite of, I will give you the sacrifice of praise. I think it's interesting that Abraham doesn't come empty-handed. From the beginning of time, since the times of Cain and Abel, when they worshiped God, they came with something. We live in a time, and before this crisis, our worship service was getting redefined. First of all, it was worship service. And it was becoming formal and commercial. And it was becoming so much such that even the residue of how it was still lingers now that we have to worship online. People now are switching from church to church looking for the sermon that makes them feel good. Looking for the singing that makes them aroused emotionally. We have moved from an attitude of worship where we come and we meet God and say, God, what do you have in your hand? When at the end of the day, in its most organic sense, worship is not about what God is bringing, but what you're bringing. God's been bringing it all week long. You've been living off of what God has been bringing all week long. You was, if, if you, when you got sick, you got better. God brought it. When your child got in trouble, he, God kept them. God brought it. When you were, you, 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 some of you are getting paid more in this pandemic than you were before God brought it. Some of you lost your job, but you're still eating. You're quarantined, gaining weight without an income. God brought it. How dare we come to God and worship and say, God, what's in your hand? God is declaring, don't come before me empty-handed after I've gave you what you have. After what you have is what I provided for you you. As a matter of fact, he says when you come empty-handed, it is a slap in my face because I know you got it because I gave it to you. Empty-handed worship is dangerous. Even later, when the law was established and God was establishing his people, God says, when you come to me, Exodus 34, Verse 20, he talked about the redeeming of animals, the purchasing of animals with other animals. And then he says, I want you to offer the firstborn of your sons. Do you know why God said that? God said that because that's who he spared. God will never ask us to sacrifice something to him that he did not give to us. When the death angel came moving through Egypt, if you remember, and killed the firstborn of every son, God gave Israel the formula that would protect their firstborns so that death didn't get their firstborns. 
And it was as if God is saying, I gave you and spared your firstborn. Now I'm asking for your firstborn. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 20, what? You shall redeem with a lamb uh -huh. the first offspring from a donkey. The first offspring from a donkey, read. And if you do not redeem it, uh -huh. then you shall break its neck. Read. You shall redeem all the firstborn of your sons. I want all of the firstborns of your sons. Wait a minute. What are, you, what, what, what are you saying, God? I want every firstborn of your sons. He didn't say as a burnt offering necessarily. He says, I gave you the formula so that you even have your firstborn son. I provided a way. I provided. Jehovah Jireh provided a way for your firstborns to be spared. And if you remember when the death angel came through, God told Moses to tell the children of Israel that the way that your firstborn sons will be spared would be if you took the blood of a lamb and put it over the doorpost. And now that's over. Now it's long past. They are now operating in the wilderness in Exodus 34. And God re visits their inventory, looks at their inventory because he knows their inventory because they have their inventory of their firstborn sons because God spared them and God says, give me your firstborn sons and he ends that verse by saying what? None shall appear before me empty-handed. Don't come before me like you ain't got it. Don't come before me like you don't have it. I gave it to you. How dare you sing my praises on Thursday about what I gave you and then come to me empty-handed on Friday. Don't hide your sons. I know you have them because I spared them. Don't hide your testimony. I know you got it because I gave it to you. Don't come before me empty-handed. Don't hide your witness. I know you have it. You're in a pandemic. People getting sick all around you, and yet I'm preserving you. I'm blessing you. I'm giving you a garden in the desert. Don't say you don't have it. I remember growing up when it was time for my mother's birthday or even my dad's birthday or Mother's Day or Father's Day when we were kids. What mom would do if it was Father's Day or what dad would do if it was Mother's Day is he would give us money maybe a week or two before. And uh, he wasn't just simply being generous, he was being methodical. She wasn't being generous, and sometimes mama would do it before her own birthday and say, here's, here's $10 for you, and here's $10 for you, and here's $10 for you. And she did it because in a few days would be the day we celebrated her existence. And so on the day we celebrated her existence, if there was no gift from one of us, it was indicative that we came empty-handed but it was not only indicative that we came empty-handed, but it was inexcusable. And the reason why it was inexcusable is because a few days before her birthday, she gave us something. 
As a matter of fact, any gift we would have given her would have come from the reservoir of what she gave us first. And any testimony you have, any praise you have, any worship you have, any witness you have, you only have it from the reservoir of what God already gave you. How dare us come before God empty-handed? How dare us come before God waiting for the people officiating worship to perform to us so that we can be aroused. God said, it's not even about them. It's not about who you're watching online right now. I gave you a witness. Bring your own praise. Bring your own worship. Bring your own witness. Bring your own sacrifice. Do not come empty. Bible says as we land this plane, God did something peculiar. What's interesting is in Genesis chapter 22, verse number 6, the Bible says that Abraham laid the wood on Isaac's back. That's interesting. He laid the wood on Isaac in verse number 6. And in verse number 9, he would lay Isaac on the wood. That is not a coincidence, my brothers and my sisters. For one day, thousands, hundreds and hundreds of years later, God would demonstrate to all of humanity, not just Abraham, not just what would be Israel, the very same thing that happens here. His son would have the wood laid on him as he carried his cross down the Via Della Rosa. Only for that same wood that was laid on him, for him to be laid on it and hung on it. In other words, when God came to save us from our sins and to save us from ourselves and to save us from this world, he did not come empty-handed. He came with a sacrifice that he loved. He came with his love sacrifice. He came with his only son as a sacrifice. The Bible says that Abraham is about to take the dagger and he takes the dagger and he here and I the narrative doesn't say what Isaac is thinking but what's interesting is that Abraham was trusting God and it must have been that Isaac was trusting Abraham you have Abraham trusting God and Isaac trusting Abraham. You have Abraham trusting his father and Isaac trusting his father. You, 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 you have a double layer of Jesus because Jesus is trusting God while on the cross and we're trusting Jesus and here it is that it's all about the sacrifice. Now in the reality of the cross you have Abraham being represented by Jesus and Isaac being represented by Jesus and the lamb being represented by Jesus. If you can't see Jesus in this, then you don't understand that God didn't 
so much did not come empty-handed that everything is about Jesus. It was Jesus' cross. It was Jesus' nails. It was Jesus' uh, uh, a thorn, crown of thorns. It was Jesus' sacrifice from God the Father. It was all about Jesus. You know why? Because it's our redemption. It's our justification. It's our regeneration. It's our sanctification. It is our redemption. In other words, it took sacrifice to produce what we have today. And, and now God says, I didn't come to you empty-handed. I want you to come before me not empty-handed. And the first thing I want you to do is come as you are, but not empty-handed. Yeah. We sing the song, Just As I Am. Yeah. And we have taken that song and taken just that part out. And we think that God wants us just as we are he does want us just as we are but that's not it the song itself says just as I am without one plea except that thy blood was shed for me God gave us Jesus and when we come before God we are to come with Jesus what does that mean God says, I know I gave you Jesus, but where is he when you come before me? I see the song leader. I see the preacher. I see the guy doing the, the reading. I see the guy doing the motivational statement. I see the guy conducting the communion. You're coming before me, but where's Jesus? I gave him to you. Where's Jesus in your attitude? Where's Jesus in your life? I know you should have him because I gave him to you. Why are you coming to me empty-handed? Where, where is Jesus? Give him, give him back to me. Give him back to me when you're in the crisis. I know you have what it takes to make it through because I gave you who it takes. Don't come empty-handed. And if you're watching this morning and you don't have Jesus in your life, you can worship all you want. But you can only worship empty-handed. God is saying, I want to give you my best so that you can give me your best. The Bible says that God stopped Abraham. And God said God will provide. But God stopped Abraham by the hand of the angel. And God says something very interesting. And I'm done. He says, now I know that thou wouldest not hold your son, your only son, from me. Now that's an interesting phrase because God knows everything. But yet God says, now I know. It almost suggests that God didn't know before. But the word that he uses for know is a Hebrew word, and that word is yada. What yada means, it doesn't mean knowledge. It means affiliation. It means experience. What are you saying, God? Now I know through your demonstration. See, I knew it before. But now I know by way of your demonstration. See, God knows everything. Somebody said, yeah, you know, why do, we, why do we pray to God? Why do we pray to God if he knows everything? Yeah, he knows everything, but he does not know it by our demonstration until we demonstrate it. Yeah. 
He wants to be affiliated with what he knows by our demonstration. That's why a God who knows what we need still tells us to pray. He wants us to demonstrate what he already knows. Oh, we know how that is with kids. We know how that is with our kids. We'll get something delectable, delightable in this quarantine. Some cake, some ice cream. They hover around, and you know what they want. You know what they want. They give you that sad look in their face, or even, even an adult. You can have something that looks really good, and you, you know what they want. They, they look at you, and they look at it, and they look at you, and they look at it, and they look at you, and they look at it, and they look at you, and look at it. And what you can do is just give it to them, but the reason why you don't give it to them is because, because even though you know, you want to know by their demonstration. So you wait till they ask. Now, you already knew you were going to give it to them, but you wait till they ask because God, watch this, is the theology. God, being all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present, still gives his people an opportunity to demonstrate what he already knows. So he's just not affiliated with knowledge. He's affiliated with demonstration. He says the same thing. He says the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And so he stops them. He says, now I know. And because of that, because I know that you are willing to give me the greatest expression of worship, not sitting in and clapping and saying amen. As a matter of fact, that's even hard for some people to affirm the word. We become a spoiled generation that forgot we come to God with, without what he gave us. We become a spoiled generation that, that's looking, uh, and we have almost put worship on the same level as television programming. Well, I don't like Martin, so I'm going to watch Power, and I don't like Power, so I'm going to watch Scandal. Well, I don't like this episode, so I'm going to watch Walking Dead. And we do the same thing with worshiping God at the end of the day, forgetting that it isn't God that has to offer us anything. It is God expecting us to come with our offering of praise, with our offering of witness. And so the Bible says that God said, okay, Abraham, and he looks behind him and he sees the very thing he declared to Isaac. God will provide. And there was a ram, which is a mountain lamb, a mountain sheep, caught in the thicket by his horns. I need you to know that this transaction happened during the ascent of worship. It didn't happen during the time he was congregated with the other young men, there are some spiritual transactions that only take place in the ascent of worship. And some of us are missing our blessings because our worship never ascends beyond having people around us. God says, I got something waiting for you, but it's waiting in the mountain. It's waiting where, when you meet me where I told you to meet me. It's waiting for you. Imagine all the blessings we miss 
because we can never ascend into our worship. That's why we who are doing this have to be very careful. We got to be careful lest we become performers of worship for people who can't be here. It is not my job, I will say this to whoever's looking, it is not my job, neither any singer or any leader who is participating or officiating, it is not our job to worship for you. When we come here, we come with what's in our hands. You cannot offer to God what's in someone else's hands. And so let me encourage you today that if you don't know the Lord and the pardon of your sins, your hands are empty. Your lips might be fruitful, but your hands are empty. Your testimony might be great, but your hands, hands are empty. You need to give your life to Jesus today, believing that he is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, confessing with your lips and your life, being baptized for the remission of sins. Let me tell you something. Maybe you're ready to be saved and you're ready to give your life to Jesus. There are a lot of people dying out here and they don't even have Jesus. And one of these days when God comes again and we stand before the judgment, he wants us to come, not empty-handed. He's going to look for Jesus. And if you don't have him, he won't have you. Matthew 10, 32 says, Whosoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. Will you come today? Maybe you need prayer right now. You're watching. I want you to put your prayer request. We have our prayer counselors waiting to receive your prayer request. They're right there. They're right there. Uh, if you put them there in the comment statement, we'll pray for you. We will reach out, and, we, and I'm going to tell you something. We will actually pray for you. Put your prayer request there. But again, remember, don't mess around in this season of convenience and inconvenience. And start coming to God empty-handed. He still demands what he demanded before this because he's still the God who provides. God bless you.